contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. I'm back. Andrew Brandt, Brandt's Rants edition of the business of sports. Thought I'd just pop around tonight. Got my uh, nice bottle of Merlot with me. Just talking to you about what's been going on. I'm going to start with my uh, my day job at Villanova. Get into a couple issues with the NFL, this Rams trade for uh, Brandon Cooks. What's going on with the Rams? What's going on with the Patriots doing that trade? You know, then I've had a lot of questions about this Facebook uh, showing some games and, and sort of this LeBron versus Nick Saban uninterrupted versus whatever they got going at, at Alabama in terms of uh, the shop talk, the barber shop. I, I think it's an interesting issue. We'll talk about it. And of course, everyone's known what I'm going to say about that. Those four words that uh, I've phrased on Twitter so many times, there will be lawyers and definitely there will be lawyers there. Okay, or already are. Uh, first thing, Villanova, you know, listen, uh, a lot of people ask me, how do I balance all these gigs? What I try to do is really, uh, since I left the Packers, I really wanted to create a life of giving back. And the ways I can give back, I don't know how to cure cancer. I don't know how to cure disease. I, I'm not a, a good with going on missions. But one thing I can do is provide knowledge and to sort of give back what I've known from my days as an agent, from my 10 years behind the curtain working for a team, the Green Bay Packers. So in terms of on television, on radio, my columns every week for so many years now, and of course teaching and putting on seminars and symposiums, uh, it's now Villanova. I started at Wharton several years ago, but I've joined Villanova Law School these past few years as director of the Morad Center, which really runs programs, has a robust curriculum both on ground and online, sports classes. I teach, I create events, I come up with ideas for pop-up lectures depending on what's happening. And of course, we have our big event next week, Friday, April 13th, our annual Morad Symposium. By the way, Morad Center, named after Jeffrey Morad, a donor who founded the program. Jeffrey, like me, was an agent, then a team executive, Arizona Diamondbacks, then a team owner, San Diego Padres. And he was kind enough to endow this program and asked me to run it a few years ago. So naturally, I have an affinity for the program, for the school, the law school, and of course, the overall school. I've gotten to know Jay Wright and the basketball program and the Department of Athletics, now run by Mark Jackson, who actually worked for the Raiders years ago, then was assistant AD at USC, then brought here. Um, And Vince Nicastro, who's the former AD, who's worked with me at the law school and is now deputy commissioner of the Big East. So a lot of webs woven around Villanova. But listen, what happened the other night, what happened two years ago, what's been happening there is really just, I'm biased, but what a story. You know, when I go around the country and people think of Villanova because of the team, two misperceptions out there. One, that Villanova is in the heart of Philadelphia, anything but. It's out here where I am in suburban Philadelphia. I'm out about seven minutes away from Villanova on the main line. Number two, it's not a big school. It's like 7,000 undergrad. What's that about, uh, was my math. 7,000, it's about 1,750 per class. That's not big. 
And that's one of the smaller schools you're ever going to think of. But because they do so well in basketball, they have this misperceptions out there. And while the Kentuckys and the Dukes are getting these five-star recruits, and a lot of them leave after one year, these guys are staying, and they're redshirting. Bridges redshirt, and Spellman redshirted, and uh, Brunson and DiVincenzo redshirted. So these are examples of what can happen when you really do have a team. And I know it's a big cliche team, but I can picture Jay Wright saying those four words all the time, stay humble and hungry. As they keep winning, as they have these 30-win seasons, you really sense that these guys are humble and hungry. And what an offensive machine. Three-point shooters, almost like the Golden State Warriors, at every position, they all can knock them down. And they really created something out of the positions that they had, just well coached, well disciplined, humble, hungry students that love each other, just really look like these guys like each other. So I've gotten involved with the program past couple of years um, when players sort of check out the NBA in basketball. Unlike football, they have an opportunity if they don't hire an agent to sort of scope it out, which a couple I'm sure will do now. They've done it in the past. I've helped them out, sort of been an advisor, been a resources. And then if they want to go pro and hire an agent, I will help them with that. And I'll sit in the interviews. I'll listen to the agencies. I'll ask the questions maybe they're not thinking of. It's a way I can provide a resource as my background for these student-athletes. I was very involved with a player now with the Lakers, one of our favorite people in our family, uh, Josh Hart. And uh, I'll be involved, hopefully, with these guys this year. I'll keep you up on that. It's uh, just a great feeling to see what's happening with Villanova. So that's my comment about there. Moving from the college sports, and I know there's a lot of cynicism about college sports and all the money the NCAA made, I will say this, you know, I have a little different view of this idea of exploitation and paying college athletes because I see working at Villanova, 25 sports, or maybe it's 24, maybe it's 26. And of those 25 or 26 sports, one, the one you just saw win the national championship, one makes money. So then you start thinking about, well, who do we pay? Do we pay the whole basketball team or just the ones that play? Do we pay women's basketball? Do we pay all the other sports? Do we pay women's sports? And then you sort of get into, well, where's the value? And are these athletic departments operating at a loss or even including football or basketball revenues? So I think what happens is people point to the extremes in these examples of Nick Saban making all this money in Alabama or Penn State football, Ohio State football, or Duke or Kentucky basketball, even Villanova basketball. Villanova didn't have a home arena this year. They went down to the Wells Fargo Center because their home arena, which seats about, I don't know, 6,000 people maybe, uh, and it's not getting any bigger, is being renovated. So anyway, we move from the amateur sports to football, uh, the NFL, which there is no pretense. Uh, this is all business and big business. And I think speaking of business, before we get to that trade I mentioned, what's interesting is last week at the owners' meetings, a lot came out of it. The one more interesting thing that came out of it, not with the catch rule, but really this lowering the head. And and there's going to be an infraction, and we're still waiting to see what will cause an injection, how they're going to officiate lowering the head. And you saw the carping from players, from fans, from media about this, and how are they going to judge this. And if a player wants to get someone ejected, they just sort of turn their head or turn their body and they can have someone lower their head into them. Listen, 
We're at a different time and space in football. There's no question about it. This started 2009 congressional hearings where Roger Goodell and Demore Smith on the NFLPA were called on the carpet about a lax attitude towards head injuries. It's all changed since then. They were compared to unbelievably the, ga- the, the tobacco industry for kind of turning their head at a public health concern. So it all changed. Uh, stepped up enforcement of these big hits. No more jacked up videos. No more crunch videos. We had uh, increased vigilance about penalties for safety and, of course, rule changes. And then, of course, it accelerated with the CBA, limiting all contact, 14 padded practices during the season, very little contact, if any, from January until August. Uh, And for a lot of people, it's not the football they grew up watching. This is going to continue. We've seen kickoffs uh, now. Touchbacks go to the 25 to encourage more touchbacks because the kickoff is the most concussive play in football, so they're trying to eventually take that out. I think kickoffs will become extinct. It's just a question of when, not if, because they are the most dangerous play for heads. Listen, that's where we are right now. And the same people that are lamenting the fact that we're taking the violence out of the game will also lament when they see older players suffering the effects of that violence 10, 20, 15 years later. So we've got an issue here. Uh, What do you want? It's kind of like the NCAA we just talked about. The same people that bemoan these exploited college athletes and it's so terrible and all the billions made by the NCAA and the schools and not going to the players, and they tisk tisk the NCAA, well, they can't turn it off. They will run to the TV to watch. And the NCAA knows that, that no matter what stories we get about Louisville, about hookers, about shoe deals, about prostitutes, whatever it is, people will come back to the product. The NFL knows that no matter how much talk about concussions, they'll come back. We're not going to leave. They got us because the game overcomes it. So, and listen, and that my point is... For those carping about this stuff about football's becoming not the game it used to be, yeah. But it's not like it's going to become patty cake. You know, they still wear pads. They still wear helmets. They still crash into each other. It's still a collision sport. But they're trying to take the head out of it so we don't hear about future head trauma as much as we do now. And I think the NFL is seems like they lose either way with the with some of these public. They lose if the game's too violent, and they lose if the game's too violent, not violent enough. Come on. Pick a side here. Bottom line is this is not your father's NFL. This is not your father's NFL. Things are changing. Speaking of things changing, what about uh, – I'm bombarded by questions. I'm in Philadelphia, and I guess the past couple of days they've had Villanova. They've had Flyers on one channel. They've had Sixers on one channel. And this Phillies, you know, they started baseball, by the way. I didn't even notice. Sorry. And uh, it's been on Facebook. Uh, Well, listen, this is, again, that contradiction that we have about what do you want? Because younger viewers are completely comfortable streaming games. That's how they want their product. That's how the consumption model is. I don't know if you want to call them millennials or just younger viewers, but older viewers where the baseball sweet spot is, which is what they need to change. 
They want linear programming. They'd want traditional network programming, traditional TV, push the clicker. And this is in a sport that is dominated by an older male population fan base. It's an interesting dichotomy, what's going on now with Facebook showing some games, because I want to see where this goes. Because every league, especially baseball, but NFL, they meet about this every day. NBA, they're talking about this every day. NHL, MLS, National Lacrosse League. Here's the challenge for the future. Right here, this one sentence. How do you attract and maintain younger viewers? Because it is not your father's traditional media landscape. So digital media is the way. And digital media means on demand, means you can go with the flow, you can be out there, and in your pocket you have the game accessible. That's what people want. And more people are going to want that. So I think the challenge ahead is combining or figuring out the right mix of digital and linear programming. The NFL is going to have both. The NFL does have both. They had Thursday Night Football covered by, you name it, CBS, NBC, Twitter, Amazon, uh, now Fox. So it's not an either-or proposition. It's not a zero-sum with the NFL. The NFL, when they do their media deals, they're going to get huge billion-dollar deals across the board from pick ABC, ESPN, NBC, CBS, Fox, and, not or, and deals from digital media, whether it be Google, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, YouTube, etc. So, it's just such an interesting dichotomy with people complaining about baseball on Facebook. Baseball needs Facebook. Baseball needs to attract and maintain younger viewers. What's going to do that? Deals with Facebook, deals with Google, deals with Twitter, deals with Amazon. Baseball's got it right. It's the older fan base that won't get used to it. That is going to complain, where is it on my TV? And, uh, you know, what's that phrase from Billy Bean speaking of baseball and Moneyball? Those three words he yells out, adapt or die. I think we all have to, no matter how old you are, adapt or die. Back to the NFL trade this week I thought was interesting. The Patriots trade Brandon Cooks to the Rams, first to the Patriots, and then it's a first-round pick and a fourth, and they get back a sixth. Uh, listen. The, the Patriots are an amazing philosophy, just amazing. They buy low and sell high. They do not allow players to have leverage on them. And you can picture it with Bill Belichick sitting in a room and say, we got to get rid of him before he has the leverage on us. And when leverage, I mean contract leverage. I mean the ability to dictate terms. Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, no, 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 no. You don't dictate terms to us, vice versa. And Patriots are cold. I mean, what they say is, we will dictate terms. Back in the day, it was Richard Seymour. You know, you're up for a huge contract, you're out. We'll get something back. You're in Oakland. Jamie Collins, up for a huge contract, gone. Cleveland. Chandler Jones, about to hit it big, contract-wise. Nope. Arizona. Jimmy Garoppolo, the future quarterback, but either owed a franchise tag or it's going to get a huge contract. Nope, you're gone. San Francisco. The latest, Brandon Cooks, last year of his contract, top receiver. Receiver money's going out through the roof. 14, 15, 16 million a year. 
the Patriots say goodbye. We're out. You're in the Rams. It is amazing that they do this. And I'm not sure everybody like me just sees this incredible pattern. Like they are cold. They run a business. You know, you talk about business, you talk about unemotional cutting the cord. They're like, you cannot come in here and get leverage on us. And I have talked about Tom Brady for years. I don't know why he takes under market deals, not just under market, vastly under market. And I hear the ridiculous theories that he's got a rich wife, that he's doing it for the team. Listen, they got money. They got cap room. (laughs) And the wife thing, you tell me he'd negotiate differently with a different wife? Come on, please. So the Brandon Cooks trade is a continuing trend of the Patriots to just go and get rid of players that are going to have the upper hand on them. On the other side, the Rams, listen, Cooks... Uh, for a one is good if you can get a deal. If you don't get a deal and you got them for one year, or even if you have to franchise tag them, I'm not sure that's a great deal. So again, we talk about this all the time. You get a player in the last year of his contract, you better do a companion contract. And if they're not doing it now, they better have an idea in place, a parameter with the agent about where this is going to go for Cooks. Because I'm just not sure why they're doing that. Now they have him on a one year. They have Marcus Peters basically in the last year of his rookie deal. They have Ndamukan Sue one year. Keep Talese probably a one-year, $11 million uh, deal there. So maybe they're just clearing space for 19 but one of the reasons they probably didn't do a deal with Cooks because the first deal they have to do has to be with Aaron Donald. They tried last year when he held out. They didn't get it done. I'm sure they'll try again. And it's interesting and ironic that they didn't get a deal done because Aaron Donald keep comparing himself to Indomitian Sue and the big money he got and the Rams said, as I would have said, no, you're not getting that because Sue was a free agent. You're not a free agent. Now Sue was a free agent. Sue signs a one-year deal. And I'll be lining up next Aaron Donald, who used Sue as his comparable to try to get a new contract and did not. And we'll see if he has one before the start of the season. Listen, I went on Twitter and talked about this. I've got a thousand likes or comments about this comment, which is I don't know if it's going to work with the Rams. I just think the idea that they all come here and we'll make it work is not a plan. It's a wish and a wish is not a plan. I'm not talking about Cook's. Cook's issue seems to be financial, but clearly Sue has had issues. Peters has had issues. Tlaib has had issues. And issues, I don't necessarily mean like they're bad guys. What I mean is Kansas City trades a top-light cornerback. Why? Denver trades one of its best players. Why? And maybe, you you know, you say financial, but really? That's what top corners make. Uh, and Dominican Sue is cut. Cut. Now, uh, again, these teams are not in the business of getting rid of their best players, but for something else. Miami's got cap room. They could have kept Sue. I mean, Denver's got cap room. They could have kept Tlaib. Denver might be playing with a rookie quarterback and, and Case Keenum. You know, Denver is not strapped that they needed to move Akib Tlaib. They're not. None of these teams are. So, again, 
here's my thing. You put Talib in there. You put Sue in there. You put Peters in there. Who else? I don't know. And you just say it's going to work. Well, great. If things are going smooth, awesome. Everybody's happy. If things start going south, it could be a problem. And what do I mean by south? Well, it could be not necessarily three games in a row losing, but what if they lose two in a row? What if things go south in the coaching room? What if they don't get along? You know, I know that can happen on any team, but I worry about teams where there becomes a mentality of, quote unquote, go for it. question is, what if they don't get it? When they go for it and don't get it, then what happens? Uh, so, I, you know, the expectations have been raised. I think you're sitting out there wondering, okay, the Rams, we got the Eagles, we got the Vikings, we got the Packers with Aaron coming back. Uh, we've got these Saints, we've got these teams out there. And where do we put the Rams? Well, with these moves, everyone thinks they're going to be right there. We will see. We will see on the Rams. Um, last point. There will be lawyers. Uh, last point of this, uh, before I get to the calls, and, I, and again, calls every week, I call in and I'll answer a couple questions. Um, wow, the um, LeBron. So for those who haven't followed, LeBron through Uninterrupted, where he and Maverick Carter have a big investment in really trying to make that work, have a, have a series called The Shop, which is a barbershop sitting around talking. I've seen Draymond in there. Uh, they sort of talk about things, sort of like, old barbershop days sit around shoot the breeze chew the fat whatever the phrase is well i guess alabama and crimson tide and nick saban etc at all have something called shop which is the same concept and lebron has made comments like he's not going to sit there and not idly while someone takes their idea and not do anything about it Now, Saban, I heard on TV saying he's seen, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 things about the barbershop uh, idea, concept, and never heard about anyone, quote, owning that. Okay. You know my saying, there will be lawyers, and there are lawyers, and they are figuring this thing out. And if LeBron and Maverick Carter's uninterrupted lawyers are going to go after the Alabama lawyers... I'd like to see it. You know, I'd like to see what their theory is, how they, quote unquote, own that concept, how it's being misappropriated by Alabama to their commercial advantage. What is going on now? We're talking top lawyers here. I mean, I'm just assuming again. I don't know. I'm assuming that LeBron and Nick Saban and Alabama both with unlimited funds behind them, can hire the best of the best in terms of trademark attorneys, in terms of copyright attorneys, in terms of misappropriation, unauthorized use. All those things are coming out. And and we'll see where it goes. I will be looking for a lawsuit and see what this happens. Now, before a lawsuit, lawyers are probably on the phone. Like, what is going on here? And can there be an amicable resolution to this other than Alabama people telling LeBron, chill. No, I don't think he's going to chill. It sounds like this is an issue. And it may not just be LeBron. It may be Mav Carter. It may be the whole concept of uninterrupted here being, quote unquote, interrupted. Pardon the pun. There will be lawyers. It's going to be fun to watch. From my perspective, fun to watch the the LeBron versus Saban the shop versus the barbershop versus shop talk, whatever those names are. 
again, sports law is dominating all these different areas. And a plug here, thinking of sports law, Friday, April 13th, we are having at Villanova Law our annual symposium. We will have a session on sports gambling as we await the decision of the PASPA case, the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, whether sports gambling will be legalized in this country. We'll have a panel talking about that, which will include Dave Purdom, ESPN's gambling guru, who's been on this podcast. We will have a social activism panel about shut up and dribble, about take a knee, about whether athletes should stick to sports or not. We'll have a professor from Villanova who works in social movements named Glenn Bracey. We'll have Aaron Elmore, Fox News, former uh, Trump staffer, uh, former uh, apprentice, uh, a contestant, to give her views on that. Tony Smith-Thompson, who was turning her back on the flag 15 years ago, is going to be there. She works for the New York ACLU, and she will talk about the issues involved. And Justin Tuck, Super Bowl-winning New York Giant, now a graduate of Wharton Business School here in Philadelphia, good friend of ours. He will be there as well. And we all have a panel about Me Too. Uh, John Barr, who broke the story of Larry Nassar and, this, and the abuse at Michigan State, USOC, USAG, uh, he is going to break down what happened there, and we are so fortunate to have one of the survivors, one of them who spoke in court. Her name is Larissa Boyce. She will be there as well at Villanova Law. We'll also have the attorney representing Allie Raceman and Michaela Maroney, who is suing USOC, USAG about these issues. So what a, what a symposium we've put together. Anyone around, in and around Philadelphia, on Friday morning, April 13th, uh, we'll put the uh, we'll put the link out there as well. At Villanova Law, we'll have this going. You can look up Jeffrey Morad's Symposium 2018 and sign up. We still have seats available. Um, okay, the next and final part. I will get to your questions. Uh, the number to call four eight four four one six five six five four. Again, four eight four four one six. Five six five four. Let's go to this week's question. First one is from D'Angelo. Hi, Andrew. This is D'Angelo. Um, my question is: Eric Reed with the Forty ers If if he's never signed again, if he doesn't get signed this season, does that help Colin Kaepernick's collusion case, or does it help the owners? I can kind of see it both ways. Like, it's collusion because they didn't sign Eric Reed, or the owners can say, look, see, you know, Kaepernick's not the only one. But thank you. Look forward to the answer. Thank you, D'Angelo. I think it's a great question. Eric Reed, for those who don't know, is uh, someone that stood with Ka- sat na- knelt with Kaepernick and was rumored to be kind of a div- divisive or on the outs with the group, the Players Coalition, led by Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, and others that made the agreement with Roger Goodell and the owners for the funding of social causes over the next seven years. And he's not being signed as a player that seemed to be a quality free agent, still not signed. Kaepernick's got his collusion case going. That's just about him. Um, And he basically, as we've talked about, has to show smoking gun. He has to show that there was concerted action between two or more teams, two or more voices, I think what they're trying to do is show some conflation with the president and his relationship with certain owners, uh, having talked to them and maybe 
extrapolating collusion down through from the Oval Office through to the teams. I don't know where that stands. Obviously, the case has been around for a while. My understanding, not my understanding, my thought is that if Kaepernick is signed, the case goes away, obviously. And maybe it's a little bit of leverage to try to get him signed, but it hasn't worked. Eric Reed would be a totally separate case, and they'd have to show the same thing. Is there concerted action between two or more teams to keep him off rosters? Uh, again, tough case to prove, tough case to show why we haven't heard much from Ka- Kaepernick. But there is, there are these depositions going on about Kaepernick, and uh, perhaps Reed's name is being mentioned. But as you said, D'Angelo, the lawyers are lawyers. They could argue the Reed non-signing both ways. We'll see where that goes. Great question. Next question is from Norm. Hey, Andrew. This is uh, Norm from uh, Visalia, California. i got a question for you about uh, Matthew Stafford, uh, his contract overall versus uh, Sam Bradford's. Thanks, Norm. You're talking about two business of football, business of sports, Hall of Famers that really tilted the field at their advantage. I've talked about Bradford many times. He has won, in my opinion, won, quote unquote, four times in a, in a business that's stacked towards the teams. He's won with the Rams. He's won with the Eagles. He's won with the Vikings. And he's won now with the Cardinals, where he's going to make between 15 and 20 million this year. He's going to earn about $135, 140000000 million over his nine years after this year. He has never been to a Pro Bowl. He has never been first or second team All-Pro. Uh, and Dominican Sue was the second pick of that draft. He's earned about the same amount, and he has been the highest paid non-quarterback in history. Uh, in, in terms of his contract with the, with the Dolphins, was the highest non-quarterback contract ever. Bradford has done it. Uh, on the other hand, Stafford's deal is much better. Obviously, he's got the best deal in the league right now. It's got 87 guaranteed, basically. Again, I know uh, Kirk Cousins has a full guarantee over three, but this has more guaranteed money. And Stafford will, you know, again, we're talking about a guy that's going to have, uh, I think, about $165 million in career earnings. Uh, he came out, I think, a year before Bradford. The one thing they have in common, of course, is agent Tom Condon represents those two, represents Drew Brees, represents the Manning brothers, um, has really done a great job in leveraging, maximizing value for these players. So Matthew Stafford is a winner over Sam Bradford, but I don't think anyone puts them in the same category. If you had to sort of uh, normalize it for talent probably put Sam Bradford ahead as the business of sports hall of famer first ballot. Uh, Bradford's an incredible story in a business tilted towards management. He continues to win. Great question from Norm. Great question from D'Angelo. Again, leave your questions. 484-416-5654. Done with my below. I've done with my podcast. Uh, Thanks for following on Twitter. Always at Andrew Brandt. You can listen to these podcasts at Apple iTunes. Please give us a good rating so everyone comes and finds this sort of gem, we think, on the Internet, the podcast, the business of sports. Listen on Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, RossTucker.com, wherever your favorite podcasts are heard. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. 
Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.